So we're in a series that we are calling In Game, and our series is about the signs of the times. And the Bible describes uh, several different signs that are going to take place in the last days. And it's incredible the detail that the Bible gives about these signs. And and it paints a picture of the various things that we're going to see around the world. And isn't it interesting that we see many of those things today when we look into our culture? And uh, man, we don't have to look too far to see these things. And the other amazing thing is that these things were written down in the Bible thousands of years ago. Isn't that pretty incredible? Um, So today, uh, if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to jump online and make sure to listen to last week's message because Pastor laid a really, really good foundation. Is everybody awake in the house today? Say amen. All right, I just need to make sure we're all good, make sure, you know, we're all awake and we're all alive and well. Well, it's crazy because when you take a look at scriptures and, and you try to discover what it says about the end times, it's amazing that we see Luke and Matthew and Jesus and John the Revelator, Peter, Paul, and several prophets of the Old Testament, they all talk about the end of days. And so it's quite convoluting to piece all of these different things together and make sense about it. I don't know if you've ever tried that before, but I like to leave that up to the Bible scholars and then read what they have to say and then try to figure out for myself. Well, it's interesting to note that when you read what some of the greatest commentators say about the end times, it's very different from how you and I view the end times. See, most of us who have pre-tribulation rapture theology, meaning that we're going to go up to heaven before the worst of the last days, Whenever we read things about the end times, we often think about all of the terrible things that are going to happen into the very last generation that gets ready to go up before they see Jesus. That's how we often view the end times. But most commentators say that the end times actually refer to a period that exists between the time of Jesus' death and to the rapture of the church. How many know this is a very long period of time? Would you agree with me? It's a very long period of time. Some commentators, in fact, say that that the, the last days or the end of times actually begins at the, uh, when Jesus enters his first three years of ministry. And so the, the end times period, biblically, is a very, very broad and wide time. Now, it's interesting to know that uh, I'm sure that just want to make sure you guys know that I'm not an end time scholar and I definitely don't claim to be an end time scholar, but I think that it's important for us uh, as we take a look at scriptures to do our best to understand what scripture has to say. You know, truth be told, I think it's very important for church folks today to understand to never just walk away and take to the bank what you hear another person say. It doesn't matter if it's your mama or your grandma or your auntie or the best Christian you know or your very own pastor because God wants wants to reveal his word to you personally. Now, do I believe that God speaks through men and women of God from pulpits? Absolutely I do, right? A hundred percent I do. But I also believe that the Holy Spirit loves to speak to his people and reveal himself to them personally. Do you believe that today? Well, because of this really broad period of the last days, I think it's important for you and I that every time we approach the scriptures and we see anything that is referred to the last day's time, we don't walk into it with the assumption that these things are only going to happen in the very last generation before Jesus pulls the church up. So 
I don't want to mess up anybody's end time theology. That's not my intention today. I'm just trying to get us to have a broad understanding and perspective of what the Bible says about these things. You know, pastor always says this. He says, there's always been times like these. You know, as we read last week in 2 Timothy in 3, the Bible describes what humanity is going to be like in the last days. It says things like man's going to be lovers of himself and lovers of money. He's going to be proudful and ungrateful, disobedient to your parents. Now, parents, don't elbow your kids during that part. Unloving, unforgiving. And uh, however, as you and I, as we look throughout history, it's kind of crazy, but these things have been happening literally since the first family feet hit this planet called Earth. So much of what you and I face today It's new to us, but it's really not new to humanity at all. The biblical ideas of the last days are very important for your biblical worldview as you approach scriptures and you understand scriptures because I believe that God gave us all these scriptures to help the church understand when she enters these times, he did this so that she doesn't panic, so she doesn't freak out and go into hiding mode during these last days. The title of our message for today is Focus for the End Time. Somebody say Focus for the End Time. We're going to take a look at some of the signs that we see in Scripture in Matthew 24. We're going to start reading at verse 3 and go through 14. And then we're going to take a look at what Scripture says about how we should focus our life during some of these times. So Matthew 24, verse 3 through 14. It's not on the screen, so you're going to have to grab your Bible if you got one or your phone and pull it out. Matthew 24, starting at verse 3. Later, Jesus sat on the mountain of olives and His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when all this will happen. And he was speaking of the last days. What sign will signal your return at the end of the world? Jesus tells them, don't let anybody mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. And they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars. Jesus says, but don't panic. Do you hear that, church? Jesus says, hey, guys. Don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this, all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers and many will, return, will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Wow. Somebody say, wow. I mean, that's a lot. Is that a lot to take in or what? I mean, that is a lot to take in. Let's take a look at a few of these signs that Scripture refers to. First, I want us to notice that there's going to be many false teachers. Bible says in verse 4 that Jesus answered them and said, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will mislead many. Uh, Other translations and the one that we had just read, in fact, they use the word Messiah rather than Christ. Why? Because the Jews had been waiting for generations since the Old Testament prophets had been telling them, wait for the Messiah. So the Jews had been waiting for the Messiah for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so if Jesus was not the Messiah, as many of them thought, that meant that the real Messiah could show up at any moment. So Jesus is telling this crowd, he's saying, hey, 
please don't be misled. I am he. I am the Messiah. How many of you know that we've been seeing misleading messiahs since the beginning of time? If we look throughout church history, there have been many who proclaim to be messiahs throughout the history of our world. And how many know that today there have been many who have come on the scene proclaiming to be a messiah type? Now, when we hear messiah, we think savior of the world because that's what Jesus is. But when these guys heard the word messiah, it just meant a a revolutionary person who's going to free people from slavery or free people from the Roman authorities. How many know people have come on the scene today proclaiming to have freedom for oppressed people or freeing man from their tribulations and and they offer other types of religions. They offer other types of gods or other types of worldviews or they mutilate the scriptures and, and offer a false message of the gospel. Let's talk about one of the other signs that we see in the scripture. The scripture also says that we're gonna see much depravity, much depravity. Verse 12 shows us this, and I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. It says that lawlessness will increase, and it says that many people's love will grow cold. Well, it was really clearly seen in the times of the early church that this is exactly what took place in the end times period. I mean, many people, their love was growing cold for Jesus. And in fact, we see Paul addressing one of these churches, their love was growing cold. It was the Galatians. And he says to them, he says, hey, who has bewitched you? You have forgotten about your savior, Jesus. You started your whole journey off in, in, in your life founded, founded on the foundation of Jesus. And how foolish can you be to slip back and go to another way? You can't be perfected by your own human effort. And so we see that happening in the church during this time. And how many know that we see that happening in our culture today? The truth is, if we take a look into our modern church today, we see people introducing new clever ideas and ways to cope with life outside of the gospel of Jesus. We see new cults and religious groups emerging, and we see many of these same types of false teachings entering into our society today. One of those false groups is the deconstruction movement. You've probably heard me talk about them. Now, uh, one of the attributes of the people who are deconstructing religion is that, in fact, it all starts out with a really good heart. I want to deconstruct religion out of Jesus. And I'm absolutely, absolutely, totally for that. Are you? Now, the thing that I'm not for is deconstructing Jesus out of the gospel. We can't do that today, church. We can't do that. And I got to imagine that it hurts the heart of Jesus as he looks at the, the, uh, the depravity of humanity. I believe it hurts the heart of Jesus as he looks and he sees Christians fighting against Christians and arguing with one another and, and demonizing one another and condemning one another and spewing hate and judgments and criticisms. Here's something that's really important for us as believers to understand today is that you cannot separate your politics from your Jesus. We've got to understand that every time we step up to the the stages of your world and we make political statements or religious statements and we step onto social media platforms and make statements, we always do so as sons and daughters representing the kingdom of God. We must remember that the people on the other side of our words are our brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. We've got to understand that the people, the recipients of our words are oftentimes the people who are far from God that he is trying to win over with his love. 
Let's take a look at one of these other signs that we see in the last sign we're going to look at today is that it says in verse 9, there's going to be much distress, much distress. It says, then they will deliver you to tribulations or persecutions, and they're going to kill you, and you're going to be hated by all nations because of my name. You know, if, if you have done any reading about church history, you would understand what the fall of Jerusalem is about in 70 AD. And it is amazing what happened during this time and the times while the disciples lived on this earth. There was much distress and they were killed and they were persecuted because of his name. Have you read it? Have you noticed what scripture says about it? And how many of you know that just as in the early church, there was much tribulation, there is still much tribulation today and much tribulation to come. And if you don't believe me, just ask the crucified Jesus when these times began, if he faced his own tribulations. Just ask Peter who was crucified on an upside down cross while his wife was raped in front of him. Or maybe ask James who was put to death by the sword or Bartholomew who was filleted, crucified and drowned in his death. Or maybe ask the people of Jerusalem who suffered this destruction and the murder and the terrors of that time in 70 AD. Or maybe you could ask the Jews who suffered the the terrible uh, horrors of the concentration camps. Or maybe we can go to some of the underground churches in China and Russia and some of the other parts of the world and ask them if they know anything about tribulations and giving their life for Jesus. Or maybe we can just go to reports of last week of churches in Afghanistan who, who people entered into these churches and killed every Christian in them. And this only scratches the surface. See, you and I here in America may not suffer physical persecutions, but I'm here to let us all know that our faith in Jesus Christ will come at a painful cost. Our life will come at a painful cost. You will be misunderstood by the world. You will be misunderstood by your friends. You will be misunderstood by every political system. And you will be understood by, misunderstood by those you love. And the bottom line is this, is that there's always been tribulations since the time of Jesus. There are tribulations now and there's gonna be tribulations and the ones that are to come are gonna be much worse than anything we've ever seen. And with that in mind, as we take a look at what scripture says about these tribulations, we need to settle in our heart that Jesus is worth following no matter what. We need to settle in our heart that Jesus is worth following no matter what. This last week, I was in a gathering with some of the executive leaders from uh, the North Texas Assembly of God District. That is our assembly's fellowship of pastors that we connect and work with. And one of them said this, that in America, we pray for protection from persecution. But in the early church and in other parts of the world, they pray for boldness in persecution. Do we see the difference? There's quite a difference between the two. When Jesus discussed these last days, he talked about the hate that the world would have towards his followers in Christ. And we've got to understand that Jesus did not share these things with you and I to invoke fear in believers. And I got to tell you today that he didn't share these things to drive a dividing wedge between the, the people who love Jesus and those who don't. He didn't speak messages to divide people from hearing the message of the gospel. And I think any person or preacher or anybody on social media or anybody in a living room across from a friend who is spewing out these scriptures to, to bring fear and hate in the room and division in the room, they better check their heart. Because scripture tells us in John 16 and 1, says this, Jesus says, these things, speaking of the things of the end times, I spoke to you to keep you from stumbling. 
Amen. Come on. That, that little baby is anointed. She knows the word when she hears it. Or he. I don't know if that was a he or a she. Here's what Jesus is trying to say to you and I. As he's saying, I want to prepare your heart, church, for the trouble. And I believe that if Jesus was here today and he walked into the room, he would look at us and he would say, don't be shocked. Don't be paralyzed by the culture. And don't lose my heart for the world that I love and gave my life for. We're talking about focus for the end game. We talked about a few of the signs. And now we're going to talk about what does Jesus say that our focus should be during these signs. Scripture says this, that our focus should be our aim. Our focus should be what we're aimed on. What should our aim be on during these end times? Our aim should be on the kingdom of God. I don't know if you believe that with me today, and it sounds kind of religious, and it sounds real Bible-preaching, Bible-thumping, but when, the, when we, we, we enter a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says that you're co-heirs with Christ. The Bible says that you're going to co-reign with Christ in his kingdom. And our focus needs to be a kingdom focus during these end times. I mean, just take a look at John the Baptist. John the Baptist, his aim was a kingdom focus. He said in Matthew 3, 2, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. He was focused on his message for the kingdom of God. Jesus comes on the scene and his aim was the kingdom of God. In Matthew 4 and 7, he tells everybody the kingdom of God is at hand. It is right before your eyes. It is emerging before you. The very first disciples that Jesus called, he told them to go and share the same message with the world in Matthew 10. He said, go and preach to the world saying that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then to every modern believer today, our aim is exactly the same, to spread the same message of the kingdom of God to our world. Now, we all know the great commission to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. The next verse in verse number 20, and I'm going to paraphrase it, Jesus says this, I'm going to be with you as you're spreading this incredible message about the kingdom. And we could ask Jesus, well, Jesus, how long are you going to be with us? How long is this going to last? He said, I'm going to be with you till the very end of the age. And the commentators describe that end of the age being the last generation before the rapture of the church. Here's how you can think about the kingdom of God, because it'd be confusing as you read scriptures, because you hear Jesus saying the kingdom of God is at hand, and then you're seeing other scriptures are saying the kingdom of God is to come. And here's what we need to understand about the kingdom of God, is that the kingdom of God is past, present, and its future. The kingdom of God is here and now, and it's advancing with us, and it's going to continue to advance and fully come in the very end when Jesus arrives visually from the sky with all the angels and the church that he has raptured to come down and establish his kingdom here on earth. And friends, I'm telling you, the Bible describes that time as the millennial reign of Christ, and it is going to be the most peaceful time that our world has ever experienced before. Well, what is this message about the kingdom of God that you and I are to preach to the world during these end of times, during these end of days? Well, John 3, 16 tells us exactly what that message is. And here's the message. Jesus declares to the world that nobody should be left out of my kingdom. My will is that no man would perish and every man would come to repentance. My kingdom is an inclusive kingdom and all who call upon my name to be saved, they will be part of my kingdom. That is the message of the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5 and 19, God makes a statement. He says, hey, I want you to know, world, that I have made all of you right with me through my, my son's death on the cross. Every single person has been made right with me already. You just need to say yes to me. And this is a word for the lost. And this is a word for the church 
who thinks that people have gone too far in their sin. God the Father has already reconciled them to his son, Jesus Christ, to himself. And so all they need to do is accept him, bow their knees to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and give their life to him. The message of the kingdom is also as Psalm 68 and 6 declares. Here's what the Bible says, that God places the lowly in families. He sets prisoners free and he gives them joy, but he makes the rebellious live in sun-scorched land. Church, I gotta tell you, this kingdom that we're talking about is not like a kingdom on earth that we've ever seen before. It's very different than the kingdoms on earth. In fact, God promises to make sure to make outsiders insiders, loners the life of the party. He's gonna bring people into his kingdom and he is gonna change their life. And when he does it, he brings them up and establish them in his new family. Did you know that this message of the kingdom is for every marginalized person? It's for every person in every society on earth who has ever been marginalized before. You know, being marginalized is not just an American thing, it's a humanity thing. And I gotta make sure that we all understand that being marginalized has everything to do with persons of disabilities, everything to do with the poor, the oppressed. It has everything to do with every minority culture who has ever lived in a foreign land before and feels like they don't belong. Because in the kingdom of God, they're gonna feel like that is my house, this is my God, this is my kingdom, this is my people. Whether you immigrated into the U.S. or to some other country looking for hope or to escape war, if you're a refugee or a minority group in somewhere like Germany, Europe, Australia, or Canada, and by the way, I want to make sure you understand, you don't misunderstand me. I don't want to take away from our issues at home, but I I want you to understand that these aren't just issues here at home. They're issues around the world, and I'm going to tell you something right now. In the kingdom of God, it's absolutely unacceptable. There are some who are in minority cultures who struggle every single day all around the world. And some of us, like me, because I'm white, some of us and people in other countries who are the minority and minority cultures in their group, we don't understand what it's like to suffer persecution or oppression because we're the majority group in that culture. We have no idea. But I'm gonna tell you this, that if you are a Christian, And you're in a majority group, but your heart moans and groans and aches for heaven because you want to escape the pressures and depressions of this world. Let that be a window into the soul of every minority person living in a foreign land. These folks live in lands where people don't look like them. They don't talk like them. They don't think like them. And and no matter how hard they try to blend in, they can't because they can't change the color of their skin. And I'm not asking anybody today to feel bad if you're in a majority group because the gospel is for everyone. But I wanna make sure that we would understand this, that the gospel does ask us to make sure to learn and see the world, all people through the eyes of Christ. This next statement I'm gonna make is not meant to be an antagonistic statement. It's not meant to be political. It's just meant to be a gospel statement. The kingdom of God has no national borders and all are welcome in his kingdom. 
And please don't read into what I'm not saying, but if you struggle with people who are different from you, you might wanna start getting used to it because the kingdom of God is gonna be full of people with all shapes and sizes and colors and shades and and beauty and it's unbelievable. And I'm gonna tell you that heaven is gonna be full of that because in the kingdom of God, there's no place for racism and bias I think people all around the world need to do some soul searching and ask Jesus to help our hearts. Would you agree with me today? He's gonna invite every person on this planet into his kingdom and he's gonna give them a forever home and it is gonna be the greatest forever home that we've ever experienced before. What does scripture reveal about our focus during the end game? Well, it says we need to be focused on our aim for the kingdom of heaven. And next it says we need to be focused on our attitude. Some will say attitude. Somebody look at somebody with a little bit of attitude and say attitude Some will say attitude check. What should our attitude be towards the culture in this world? When we're living in the distress of these last days and we're seeing false teachers and false messages and crooked politics, what should our heart position be towards the people leading in these things and those who are lost in Christ and those who think very different from us? What should our attitude be toward these people? Luke 19, 41 through 44 gives us a, a glimpse into what our attitude should be like. This is Jesus, a little context here, who's getting ready to enter into the city of Jerusalem to be crucified. And if you've uh, been to an Easter production before, this is the part where everyone's waving palm branches and Jesus is on some fancy old donkey with some fancy, fancy clothes and he's waving like a beauty clean in a, in a pageant and everybody's smiling. But that's really not the picture at all that Jesus gives when we read scriptures. Let's take a look. Verse 41 says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city. What did Jesus see? He approached Jerusalem and he saw the city. I believe that Jesus was foreseeing all of the tribulations that he saw that these people and every person and every generation from the time of his death until the time of his return, I believe that he was foreseeing all of those things. I believe that he was foreseeing the cross that he was gonna, about to endure, the weight of the sin of the world that he was about to endure. And he looks upon this city. He looks upon this city and many generations has come. And what, and what does scripture say that he does? He weeps. He wails, he sobs, and in the depths of his heart, he's absolutely broken. He's not smiling and waving as people are shouting, Hosanna, he weeps. And the scripture here says this, this word in the Greek weeps means that he wept out loud, that he expressed an uncontainable, audible grief as he weeps over the city and he weeps over Jerusalem. I believe that he's weeping over every injustice that people would ever experience. I believe that he's weeping over every persecution that any person would ever face. And I believe that he's weeping over every person who would not receive him as their personal Lord and Savior because he knew what their fate was gonna be without him. Have you ever heard anybody weep before? Have you ever heard anybody try to talk and communicate as they're weeping with deep groans like this? Well, it's with this deep groans and weeping that through his tears and troubled heart that Jesus stutters out these next words. He weeps and says, if you, if only you had known on this day when he says this day, he, he's referring, commentators say, to the last day's tribulation. If you had only known what had happened on these last days, if you had only known what, had brought, what would have brought peace to you, but now it's hidden from your eyes. 
Jesus was saying to these people, my Jewish friends, you have been waiting for the Messiah and out of all people, you should have known that I am he. And I wanted you to face these times with peace in your heart because you did not receive me as your personal Lord and savior and you chose the law over me. Now you're gonna face them without my peace and that is not my will. Verse 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies, he continues, will build an embankment around you and against you and encircle you and hem you on every side. They are gonna surround you and then they're gonna dash you to the ground. You and the children in your walls. They will not leave one stone unturned because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Wow. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, if you read about the destruction in 70 AD, just a little less than a generation after this, nearly every single one of these took place in that particular generation. And I'm not trying to say we're not gonna see any of these things in the next generation. I believe we're gonna see terrible things in the generations to come. But these folks and the folks living on this planet and the folks that are gonna be here before Jesus comes, we have the opportunity to say yes to the Messiah and enter these times with peace. So Jesus shows us what our attitude should be during these times. Church, as we look at the culture and we look at the world and we, we read social media and we see the news, our attitude should be an attitude of sorrow. I don't know about you, but, but I struggle with having an attitude of sorrowfulness when I look at the world. You know, scripture reveals what, this, what, what the church should be, be, be uh, having within its heart as it faces these times. And as Jesus looked at Jerusalem and he looked over the cities, I believe that we should look at our city and look out our front doors with the same kind of sorrow that Jesus did when he looked at people. And I don't say any of this to say it with condemnation to you, I say it as a confession that I need to see like he sees and I need to feel like he feels because I sure don't weep like he weeps. This leads us to the bottom line of our message today and it's a challenge for you and I to take an action step and it's described in this way. We will only weep to the measure that we are transformed Church, if there's no weeping in our hearts, I wonder how much we have been transformed to the effect that we would see the world the way he sees them and feel for the world the way he feels for it. And lastly, we will only transform to the measure that we're willing to repent. Repent means to change the way you think. Transformation is God's job and repentance, that's our job. We repent by submitting our minds to scripture. We repent by, by noticing that the way we think and we behave is very different from the way the kingdom of God thinks and behaves. And when we see those differences and those contrasts, we just say, Lord, I see it and I repent. I repent because of the way that I think. It's way different than the way your kingdom thinks. And now I pray that you would transform me as I see this different way to think. I don't have the ability to make myself think that way all the time. I need you, the transformer of hearts and minds. I need you to do that for me.